Hey everyone, thank you for listening today. Today I'm coming to you from a farm on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. Uh, this farm belongs to my family and I've been here for the last month or so getting to play chamber music as part of the Concerts in the Barn Music Festival. And it has really been just amazing to get to play chamber music right now and um, a miracle that we can play with other people because um, we've been deprived of that recently. So it's it's been really special and I'm very grateful to be here. We are gearing up for our final concert, which will be live streamed on Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And that video will be up after that. And I will put the link to it in the show notes. Today, I'm sitting down with the other musicians on this concert, and we're just going to chat about the two huge pieces that we're playing, which are the Schubert Cello Quintet and Brahms G Major Sextet, uh, both of which are beloved chamber pieces in the repertoire. Let me introduce the other musicians that I get to play with this week. So we have Charles Weatherby on violin and Corrine Fujiwara on viola, and they're both of the Carpe Diem string quartet. And then we have Elisa Barston on violin, Rachel Swerdlow on viola, and Walter Gray on cello, all three of them from the Seattle Symphony. So um, needless to say is I am surrounded by greatness, and it's just truly been an honor to get to play with these amazing people. All right, I hope you enjoy our discussions. Welcome to Keeping Cup. I'm Ariana. I'm a professional cellist, yoga enthusiast, and I love doing impersonations of my friends. On this podcast, you'll hear candid discussions about what it's like to work in the classical music industry, as well as the ins and outs of maintaining a varied and balanced lifestyle. I'll also bring guests on to talk about their distinctive areas of expertise. I hope these little nuggets will brighten your day, and maybe you'll even learn something. Let's get into it. So I have a special place in my heart for this piece, and in conjunction with this place, because um, the very first time I got to play on the farm, I was 16 years old, and I played Schubert Cello Quintet. I played the second cello part, so I'm moving up in the world, giving, <laughs> taking a crack at uh, first cello. Um, <laughs> but it's just a, a wonderful piece and as cellists, you know, it's just one of the most fun things to play and it's been a pleasure to play with Walter, of course, and um, everyone else, of course, but it's, that's my, my experience, my first experience. What about you? Honestly, I can't remember the first time I played it. <laughs> I was trying to think about that and I'm sure I read it as a teenager, but I don't think the first real performance of this I had until sometime in my 20s. I just don't even know. I was playing so much chamber music at the time that it kind of all falls together at this point. But I do remember you know, awareness of the piece was always there. It's a fantastic piece. And um, how many pieces have the major memorable theme in the first movement gets presented by two cellos first? And then by viola and cello also. But basically, the presentation of the theme is done by the, the low strings, as we like to call ourselves. And it's been <laughs> wonderful playing with all of you. Ariane's doing a great job with the first cello part. 
And now, when was this piece written? Was it 1828, I think? Right. It's such, it's, it's like, a, it's a massive work on the magnitude of his late quartets. It's really big, it's long, the themes are very involved, and because it's a quintet as opposed to a quartet, it's even more interesting. He did not shy away from using everybody all the time. It's not like some quintets where you have one person who really isn't doing anything. They're kind of sitting, waiting their turn. No, he's, he's, got, he's got the group going pretty much with interesting material all the time, which is it's a great thing for us. I have a special favorite moment in the third movement when the cellos come rumbling in. It's my favorite place. I think the first time I became aware of this piece was in college. It was a, a reading session with like-minded chamber music nuts like myself. And I, I had never occurred to me that you could have two cellos together in a piece. Like, I was pretty green, but <laughs> admittedly. Um, and I fell in love with the piece. And then I found out, of course, that it's all these people. This is the piece that I want on my desert island in that, that, uh, that saying that we have the piece that you would take with you. Or, yeah, it's everybody's favorite piece. So many singable melodies, so many amazing themes. The slow movement, I think, is the one that is very, very magical. Um, for me, I think performance of that would have been with my Carpe Diem colleagues and Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, nice. uh, we played um, an encore after a, a symphony concert, which to this day, I still can't believe it was true. And I remember playing and being very nervous and kind of jangled and then looking over and saying, wow, those cellos sound really good. Whoa, it's Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> Pinch me. <laughs> that was that was my, my a very fond memory. But this is also a very fond experience. One of the other, again, Schubert in his later years, which of course is not really very old, um, he liked to explore extremes. Um, I think one of my favorite places is in the last movement, where the entire group is playing sort of undulating melodies at three pianos, or triple pianissimo dynamic, which is like really hardly audible, or should be hardly audible. And it's just this this moment of um, sort of undulating notes, and then lands on the floor, and then more notes, and then lands on the floor. It's just like, it's one of my favorite spots, because you don't get to do this kind of thing in most chamber music, not to that extreme measure. And he was not at all shy about going for really, I would say, pretty extreme moments. So that's that's another wonderful thing about this piece. And like you say about the rumbling cellos, it's the same thing. You know, when he wanted to make the cellos be really prominent, he just wrote them in unison. So now it's two cellos instead of one playing the same thing against the same other three people in the quartet. You know, that's okay. <laughs> it's all about the cellos. Right? It really is. Yeah. And that's why we love this piece. Well, the next piece on the program is the sextet, the string sextet by Brahms. And this is also, like the Schubert, I think for many of us, it is kind of a desert island piece. It's uh, such, such an incredible work. There's actually not very many sextets in the literature at all. Um, 
two violins, two violas, two cello. There's the two by Brahms. Um, yeah, it's not much. Tchaikovsky. Right, the Souvenir de Florence. It's maybe that's rare because it's hard to handle the extra forces without too many lines starting to feel like they're just being doubled and starting to feel orchestral. And what's amazing about this piece is the ways that Brahms finds two duets, uh, a, a duet here, a duet here, a duet here, or sometimes three instruments working together, one pinning down the bass. Like he, he splits them up in different ways and yet um, most of the voices have moments of real solo um, identity which is what we think of with chamber music, the combination of both ensemble and solo um, playing wrapped up in one, um, one genre. I don't know. It's a really, a really good point. Um, something that you just made me think of with that is, you know how you, um, as a kid in music, you know, so many chamber music parties involved reading this and the other, you know, big, Cherry music works like the Mendelssohn Octet, you know, anything that you can get your hands on for a bigger group to read. Um, and one of the things that always happens at these like cherry music party readings when you're a kid is everybody plays their part really loud, <laughs> right? Through the right. whole thing, you know? And then it's the kind of thing when you put it together, the professional group like this, where you're really trying to you know, work on the balances and realize what needs to come out. Um, and then, of course, having the added lovely COVID bonus of, you know, having to sit way further apart than we ordinarily would. And then you're not really sure how loud you should be playing to balance things out because you're not hearing in the way that you were before. So it's particularly interesting time to put this piece together um, and really try and weed out extraneous things and make sure that main voices are heard and really think about what we want to have come through. One of the things that's nice for me is um, violinists are used to playing chamber music together because it's virtually always two of you, but it's so nice to have two violas. Um, and the sonority um, is just so, so lovely when we have little, little even just um, commentary on a, on a tune. Yeah, we spoke last week with our program about um, how great composers can can be um, can pr can practice such incredible economy by generating so much from so little, and this piece is a great example of that. Starts with the viola um, playing that undulating uh, half step yeah. um, figure, and between the half step and then when the tune starts. The, this um, leap of a fifth that happens twice um, with a half step next uh, neighboring from that I mean that's pretty much like the whole work because he puts he uses those two things just for almost everything the, the beginning of the second movement which is the same two notes in the violin that that I played in the stretched out version you know um, and the th same for the third and fourth I mean it's just over and over again he finds inventive ways to transform those two little uh, motivic ideas um, into so many different textures, moods, movements, everything. It's just pretty amazing.
nuggets of those things. For example, one of my favorite parts is at the end of the third movement, where, of course, it's my part. <laughs> so I, it's all about I found it because I'm playing that part. But, you know, where there's the... Um, I have the last motive at the very end. You know, B, E, F sharp, B. And it just sneaks in right at the end as it's fading out, and it's so beautiful and it you could be lost and buried in there but there it was sparkling through you know well i mean hopefully when i play it it will be sparkling <laughs> through but i mean it's in the music sparkling through <laughs> right and it doesn't it doesn't matter if if sorry and it doesn't matter if you know any of those those elements that are sort of building the piece because the skill of a brahms or any other great composer is that you can just listen to it and it's just beautiful. Um, but then as we work on it and we look at these little things and appreciate all, all that much more about how, how, uh, just how many different layers you can, you can peel back and find more and more. I think we wrapped that up. I think we did. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Keeping Cup. Make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when new episodes are uploaded. Intro music is an original tune by my dad, Roger Nelson, performed by Roger on piano and my mom, Karen, on fiddle. Cover photography is by Natalie Gaynor.